Welcome to Illegal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. Hi, Jonathan. So we are about two weeks in to our family quarantine. Yes. So how's it going with you? Um, I'm surviving. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've actually, it's been a very productive time for me. Oh, well, that's good. I put the finishing touches on my Ken Shamrock book. Um, so that's exciting. So things are moving along. I've Silver lining? Yeah. Silver lining to being homebound. I feel mostly um, satisfied that work is uh, continuing pretty well. My regular job, like here at home, I haven't been. It's not impossible with kids around all the time um, and distractions of the the home. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I I think it's going um, fairly well, all things considered. Yeah. For me. I mean, I don't know. What about you? Yeah, no, I I think that we're getting along okay. Um, The kids are getting really antsy about Disney and there's just really nothing we can do about that. But, um, other than that, they're handling it pretty well. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's not really that big a change except for, except for like our frequent, uh, travel. Uh, yeah, everything I mean, else they don't, is... they don't mind being home from school. No, that, yeah. that was not a, not an issue at all. I haven't, had, not... haven't had many questions about why are we going to school? No, everything they seems cool. Yeah. They don't really hang out with friends. Um, you know, that that's not really their scene. So, you know, they like having all this time to themselves. They're fine with that. So far, um, we've been able to, like, go through their favorite drive throughs You know, there are treats here and there. And so we've been able to, like, kind of keep it a little bit normal for them. Uh, but the one thing they do understand is that Disney is closed. And uh, they, therefore, they understand that something is very wrong. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes if this continues on. And of course, uh, you know, it's, it remains entirely unclear of what's going to happen or what to expect. Uh, yeah. There's different, you know, depending on which media source you, you partake <laughs> in, like, you know, you either you feel like it's almost over or it's only just beginning. Yes. So uh, we'll, 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 we'll try to... And our older son sticks so closely to a calendar. He has a huge wall calendar in his room. And so, you know, he wants to know exact dates. Like, okay, when did Disney close and when are they going to reopen? And so that's like one of the hardest things is not being able to give him any concrete dates about when things are going to go back to normal. Yeah, it's just unprecedented. (laughs) Um, You know, we've been at this parenting thing for a while and it, you know there's just nothing to compare this to no not at all so it's a it's been a challenge and of course as, as wrestling fans too um it's been a weird time yes extremely weird and you know we have been watching you know what wrestling is available um this podcast in particular is pretty much going to be uh completely about wrestlemania about the the two days of WrestleMania this year. Um, But we have been watching AEW, and, you know, they've been doing their best to provide entertaining shows every week, and um, they still have their shoulder programming, and I'm very excited for the tournament that's going to start next week because I love tournaments. Um, But, yeah, I mean, everybody's just – they're doing their best. Yeah, and WrestleMania, I think, uh, just kind of like if, as an overview before we get into our top five, I think, you know, it's um, whether they should have done it or not, whether it was a threat to public safety and a terrible idea, that's like, we'll push that to the side. Right. And just say that over the two days, I think they exceeded uh, even their harshest critics' like uh, expectations. You know, like I, I think uh, it would be hard, you'd be hard pressed to not be uh to not say that this was a good job by them 
Yeah, just in terms of whether or not they put on an entertaining show. I mean, I think they did. I, I, I really enjoyed both I, shows. I didn't think they were going to be able to do it. And uh, they delivered so strongly, like to the point where I think I enjoyed, like I enjoyed it more than the previous year's WrestleMania, which was just a regular old WrestleMania, like just as a, uh, a spectacle and a, uh, and a show, like it was, uh, it, it stands among other WrestleManias. Like it, it doesn't, it's not like, oh, this is the one that was terrible because of the coronavirus. Right. It's like, no, this is the one where they did something special because of the coronavirus. So yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. I really, I mean, I really made no bones about the fact that I, I was not excited for oh, WrestleMania. Right. I was excited for WrestleMania weekend. Like our, you know, our weekend was supposed to be, you know, a New Japan show, Ring of Honor show, um, maybe throwing in a small show here. You would be, you'd go to the big shows, the NXT TakeOver, WrestleMania to cover them. I mean, our plans for WrestleMania weekend before all of this you know, were really big and really different. <laughs> but as far as the WrestleMania card went, I wasn't super excited. You know, I honestly think that um, this was probably better than the same card would have been in a normal arena for a normal show. Honest to God, I, I, I feel the same way. Okay. I Because I don't think this card in a normal show, a, in a ring, in the, the middle pits, of a giant right? arena, would have done anything for me. And, and the other thing that was really, um, really made it uh, palatable was the fact that they uh, they separated it into two nights, yeah. which was huge for them as yes. far as like getting like the social media and getting like the hour views on their WWE network. Like it, it's very smart, but also it, as a fan, mm-hmm. as a viewer, it was a spectacular success because. Over the last few years, WrestleMania has become such an event that it is honestly, it it tires you out to watch it to the point where like, unless you, I mean, unless like Stone Cold and The Rock came back, like you'd be hard pressed to make anybody care at the end of that show about anything (laughs) besides just going home and going to bed. Right. Like it is a miserable slog. It can be. Yes. And separating it into two nights completely eliminated that element to it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I. We talked about it. Um, this feels this three hour show is the right amount of wrestling. And if that means they have to pare down their cards for future WrestleManias, or if that means that they divide it into two nights, either way, I feel like this would make WrestleMania more enjoyable, at least for me. And uh, I and, totally. and last year, I mean, I know from social media, how long it was was a huge complaint i mean people were dropping like flies before the show was over so there are a lot of potential lessons learned for wwe coming out of this event uh, about how to improve wrestlemania generally as an experience uh it'll it'll be interesting to see if they remember any of this <laughs> or if they immediately dismiss it because of the weird circumstances that that created it um but uh i i honestly think that there's a lot that they can take out of this but um, I don't know. You want to just jump into the top five and talk about some of it? All right. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. We actually have two honorable mentions. Honorable mentions? Yeah, right. and that's, that's just... That's cheating. Be- yeah, but it's just because we saved... We should saved- have separated this podcast into two nights. <laughs> we saved the top five for just matches. Um, but the honorable mentions were two programs that we watched as part of WrestleMania weekend on the WWE Network. Um, and the first one was the Edge documentary. 
Yeah, that was a really well done. I think probably the best one of, of this sort that I've seen on the WWE Network where they they take basically a year in someone's life and and tell their story. And it, it just happens um, that it's the same story that I told at Bleacher Report in a profile <laughs> I did of Edge. Yes. So I talked to Edge and I talked to Beth Phoenix for a story for Bleacher Report. And then lo and behold, like two days later... Um, there's my story uh, <laughs> on the screen. It is a very similar experience to when I profiled Cody Rhodes for the Bleacher Report. And I talked to his family and, and I talked to his brother and Tony Schiavone and stuff. And then basically they did a repeat of my story on <laughs> Road 2. Um, and then, well, oh, I don't think they were copying your story. No, I'm pretty it's his sure story. this documentary was in the can before yes. you ever talked to No, Edge. of course that's not what I'm saying for either. <laughs> like the story belongs to Cody and it belongs to Edge. It just so happens that the, the, the direction that I followed uh, happens to have been the same one that some producers of, of a show followed and that's probably partly because it's the the best story mm-hmm. um you just don't happen to necessarily catch that all the time in the wrestling specific media where they're very uh focused on very specific like nuances and and little details like the most interesting thing to uh, wrestling media out of that edge story was not this great human story of him uh, recovering from this injury and rediscovering his passion it was that like briefly, he talked to AEW. Like that's all that they talked about out of this documentary. This like story of a man's life. Um, so that says a lot about the the wrestling. Which is fan. I, that's absolutely hilarious to me though, because really, if you just break it down in its simplest terms, that's just a guy talking to another potential employer. Right. It's a like, job, like a mini like a job interview. Right? Yeah. I mean, my dad's an accountant. It's like him, you know, talking to some people at another firm and seeing if they have, you know, something else to offer him. Like it's not news. It's not interesting. It's it's not that big a deal. It happens in people's lives all the it's time. It's not but... remotely interesting, except for for whatever reason, like that's the kind of thing that is uh, super interesting to a, a certain kind of wrestling it's fan. It's so weird. It's a, it's, um, a, it's such a strange thing that I just really haven't been able to grasp as I've come back into the wrestling fandom. So I, I, I actually got the sense that um, like when I was interviewing Beth Phoenix, uh, she, she actually told me, she's like, this is uh, a lot like a documentary that we we just finished and it's going to debut. Like you're bit of a spoiler for you. You're asking me the same questions that, that we covered in this documentary. So, um, I guess as like, a from my perspective as a member of the media, the best thing for me was that my story came out first. <laughs> Otherwise it, it would have been disastrous. Uh, obviously <laughs> had it come out like the day after the documentary. Right. And then everyone's just like, well, that's what we saw <laughs> in the documentary. You just rewrote the documentary. So, um, anyway, um, I think you'll enjoy that even if you didn't write a profile of edge. Oh no, it was very interesting. I loved the clips of him getting back into the ring and, um, and, you know, working on his ring work with his wife. Like that was just, um, I really love to see that. That was so interesting to me. Yeah. And they were, um, cool people to, to interview. And, um, I mentioned this to edge that he and I went back. I don't know if we've told this on the, the we podcast. have, I think we talked about it before you interviewed. Edge. Okay. So yeah. So we have a history together where I spent a day with edge years ago when mm-hmm. edge and I were both young men. <laughs> now we're both old men and, uh, and we did it again. So, um, I don't know. They were both just lovely people to talk to. So it was a cool story. All right. And then uh, you and I both sat down and watched um, 
I think the name of the show is Untold. Yes. And this was the story of um, Shawn Michaels and Angle at WrestleMania. Yeah. So this Untold is a really cool series where WWE kind of explores like some of their classic matches and they'll have like people, um, other wrestlers talking about it, the people who are around at the time. And then of course the two people that were in the match. And, um, I I think it's a a really good idea and it's one of the things they deliver on really well on the WWE network. And this one in particular worked because, um, it was, such a classic match and, and two such iconic performers. Uh, I, I thought it was a, a really well done show. And um, this is one of my favorite matches ever. Yeah. So and it's one thing to like sit there and talk. I'm about, not sure I was like as enthusiastic as like Johnny Gargano. I don't think anyone could be as enthusiastic <laughs> as Johnny Gargano was about this match. Um, so yeah, that was it. That was entertaining in its own right. Yes. But uh, I think it's, it's one thing like where you have like, you know, you look back at things with rose colored glasses and like, so maybe like it'd be one thing if they were like, and this eight minute match on Sunday night heat between Bradshaw and gang grill redefined what wrestling was for a generation. <laughs> like sometimes you kind of get into that where it's like, you know, I'll, I'll hear like someone take a, a like, kind of like a mid card kind of performer and be like the legendary Bob Holly was one I heard the other day. Okay. And it's just like, you know, just because they're old doesn't mean they're legendary. Right. But in this case, this these are legendary performers, mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle, yes. and it was a legendary match. Uh, and, and a legendary buildup. Yes. So everything about this was great. And yes. so it's it's cool both to hear their perspective uh, on the match, but even more so to see the clips of it and relive it for yourself and kind of like um, experience it again, I think is better because... Um, Michael's actually, when he does these documentaries is typically actually kind of poor at it. Like, I don't know if he doesn't have a good memory or he doesn't like to share stories or whatever, but he doesn't actually do a great job of telling the story of, of his own life or matches. Um, I noticed that like they did a, a, a rivalries disc where he and Bret Hart were supposed to talk about all, all the terrible times they had together uh, when they were like going back and forth and mm-hmm. doing shooting on each other on raw right. and all this stuff. And Michael's like spent the whole time being like, I don't, I don't remember any of this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, he, he doesn't add much, but just being able to see it with your own eyes again, um, really made it worth the time. I thought. All right. And we'll move on to our top five. These are going to all be from WrestleMania and number five. It was, uh, Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens. Yeah. Very, very entertaining stuff. Jesus, Seth Rollins. He came out like dressed as, uh, they're pretty much just into the Seth Rollins is wrestling Jesus. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and we should say, if you haven't seen WrestleMania, uh, all of these matches, because the, the state of Florida did not allow them to hold WrestleMania in Tampa in a giant football stadium, which was their plan, obviously, uh, these matches were all performed at the WWE Performance Center uh, in front of an audience of zero. So mm-hmm. these are all empty arena matches. Yes, all empty arena matches, um, which never really bothered me. I think benefited a, a handful of them, to be perfectly honest. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, and and some of them were were actually so good that I I kind of just forgot that that there was no audience. Like I just I sort of just completely that part just like zoned out. And I was so concentrated on the wrestling. So actually, I have to say, 
I was surprised at how little it mattered to me that there was no crowd there. Same for me. Uh, and, and normally I'm a person who feels like the crowd really influences how you feel about a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's probably still true. But um, maybe it's because we've spent weeks watching the AEW in Possibly. the arena. I mean, um, I, yeah, that, that could be it. Um, it could be because those arena crowds, um, are so dead, right? Yeah. They're so, they're so dead for large parts of WrestleMania. Um, they really only get hyped for, you know, one or two of the, of the matches, especially later in the show. And yeah, maybe that's part of it, but I'd have to say that honestly, I, it really didn't bother me that they were empty arena. No, not, not at all. Not for me either. And, and in some ways it, like you said, it did benefit the the work. Um, the announcers toned it way down, way down because of this. And that was, was there were some matches where I, I actually, we would go so long without hearing from the announcers that I would actually say like, Oh my God, they're like letting it breathe. They're letting us hear the sounds of the wrestling. It was the best announced, uh, WWE show ever probably at least since like Bobby Heenan days or whatever or Gorilla Monsoon like classic stuff um, it was just so understated and it was just in service of the match and they yes. let the match tell its own story and and the guys it turns out don't need you to be constantly yelling and screaming yeah and it was uh, like well that's an example and there are more examples as we go through this matches but the the kind of like I, I don't know it's sort of like internalizing the way that that WWE seems to have like almost kind of looked at some of their you know what you and I think are like issues and like really dealt with them in this show was like amazing to me because I I never imagined that they had like any ability to like really look at themselves objectively and make changes like I always just kind of assumed like nothing will ever change because they just don't even have the ability to like to, to look at themselves honestly. And it feels like this weird circumstances of empty arenas and smaller shows and, and, and not really knowing what's going to happen from week to week has sort of maybe helped them do that a little bit. Like it, it's actually kind of strange. And then I'm real curious to see that once things, you know, if they do get back to normal, you know, quote normal, um, whether or not they'll take any of those lessons with them. Like, Will we, will they realize like, hey, listening to the sounds of wrestling is, is entertaining. You don't need somebody screaming pop culture references unrelated to the match over top of everything everybody does. Yeah. And and also I think uh, the wrestlers uh, modified things, at least the ones who did it well and succeeded that we're going to talk about in the top five. Um, You know, a lot of times WWE wrestling, we watch a lot of independent and Japanese wrestling where of course it's. Um, you know, WWE wrestling often seems soft in comparison Mm -hmm. and, you know, where they're missing strikes or barely making contact. And it, you know, it's a, it's a gentler form of wrestling. And uh, that wasn't the case here. And I think that they discovered that over the weeks of doing these uh, empty arena matches, they discovered that if uh, you're not really laying it in there, uh, it's not working. Right. And so every match here, I think uh, that, that did well, was a match that was a little bit rougher mm-hmm. than, than you would normally expect to see from WWE. Right. And I'd be curious to see if that's a, a trend. Um, what I liked about this match in particular was the way they kind of played with your expectations. Um, because WWE, I think, has spent years um, doing such a poor job, frankly, in their storytelling. Like, uh, you know, you you could believe that you would have this 
blood feud between Owens and Rollins, and they would allow it to end with Rollins just walking away with a disqualification. Um, yeah, I mean, sort of. Like, I, you know, I would have believed that on almost any other pay-per-view except WrestleMania because I turned to you at the time and I said, this doesn't end on some cheap disqualification on WrestleMania. Like, that's, like, exactly what I told you. And, and you know, I was right. And I'm glad I was right. I think I would have been really mad if, I, <laughs> if I'd have been wrong. But I think part of that was just because it was WrestleMania. Sure. And, like, things get resolved on WrestleMania. Uh, and, you know, what, what people will remember out of this match, I think... Um, other than Jesus, Seth Rollins. Yes, other than Jesus, is um, Jesus sacrificing himself or being sacrificed. Uh, Kevin Owens climbed on top of the set mm-hmm. and uh, and did a flying elbow off the top of the set. He's Shane McMahon did. Complete Shane McMahon style. <laughs> and, and even, like... Uh, more dangerous, I think, than Shane McMahon in the sense that a lot of times for Shane McMahon's crazy stunts, there'll be some kind of elaborate crash pad set right, up there. Right. This was just through a regular announce yeah. table. So um, it was kind of scary and stupid. For both of them. Yeah, it was it was um, terrifying, but they pulled it off, I guess. Uh, you know, I haven't heard that anyone's <laughs> dead, so um, I'm assuming they did. And so um, that, that'll be like kind of one of the highlights, I think, uh, that, that'll, that'll uh, survive this WrestleMania is that moment of uh, Owens jumping off the, the top of the set. That mm-hmm. was that was pretty cool. And number four, I had Daniel Bryan versus Sami Zayn. And um, I put this one above the Seth Rollins match, um, less about the wrestling and more about the entertainment value. I just, I found this match really entertaining. I mean, obviously, wrestling-wise, it was great. Daniel Bryan is always fantastic. He is amazing in these empty arena matches, He's been their workhorse kind of through them. He's out there every week. They've, uh, you know, created this interesting story where he's being mentored by, by Drew Gulak, and now I think they're um, they're gonna have Chad Gable help him as well, um, you know, with some of his wrestling techniques. And uh, and yeah, he's he's been working a lot of these empty arena shows on SmackDown, and and he's very very good at it because he's technically proficient. He works really hard and really stiff, so it looks good, it sounds good. Um, he makes everybody he works with uh, look really great too. He can work with anyone. He's this storyline where he's being um, you know bettered means that it doesn't really have to be about feuds. It doesn't have to be about belts all the time. Um, so he's, I thought, had a really great run during this weird coronavirus time. Um, but And this match was was the same. It was for the Intercontinental belt. Um, Sami Zayn's been bugging him for a long time to to join his artist collective, and, and Daniel Bryan's picked his side. He's, he's over here with the wrestling technicians. And, um, the techers. <laughs> right? Dangerous techers. And... Um, and, and, you know, he, he took out a lot of his typical sort of Daniel Bryan frustrations on, on Sami Zayn because, you know, he sees Sami Zayn as someone who, who doesn't deserve any of the success that he has, which, like, I mean, this version of Sami Zayn honestly doesn't. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, he's a complete sure. dirtbag. He's the char- a hilarious dirtbag. The character, dirtbag. yeah, of Sami yeah, Zayn. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought it was a – there's a lot that to be said for this in that um, – you know, we've been watching occasionally like the the flashbacks of Ring of Honor, Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson, as he was known then. And that was kind of like a, a different performer mm-hmm. in the sense that um, 
he was a, almost abusive of his opponents and himself. Right. And, and to the extent that he, as hard as he went, you know, very Japanese style. Mm-hmm. And and there was shades of that here. Yeah. Uh, because I think he of, brings out shades of that sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but because of the empty arena atmosphere, I think in particular, it, it looked and felt more like old Daniel Bryan in, in the sense that he was laying it in pretty, pretty well. And since I'm not part of the match, I actually like that a lot. I do too. So I I, th- I thought it was great. And and the other thing is like, so he's established himself at this point in WWE culture um, with the people backstage in real life, I think, to the extent that he's allowed to in this kind of like mid-card level thing, just they say, okay, Daniel Bryan was a big star for us. We like Daniel Bryan. He's good. You know, just let him do what he wants. That <laughs> seems like it. That yeah. seems like what's happening. Mm-hmm. And it gives it like not to make this this comparison like, you know, people wouldn't like necessarily, but it gives this an AEW feel. Yeah, it does. You know, where it feels like these are this is what these performers want to do. Mm-hmm. Their heart is in it. Yes. And you can really tell the difference. It feels very different than when it's like a bunch of guys or, or women in some skit that a writer has come up with that they don't really believe yep. in. So I, I really do think that this feels like AEW, as weird as that sounds. Well, you know, I notice it because Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Daniel Bryan, Sami Zayn, these are guys that I really enjoy going back and watching, um, you know, their indie matches. I love watching them in Ring of Honor. I love watching them in um, Pro Wrestling Gorilla. And then for years... I didn't particularly care about him that much in WWE. Like I wasn't Seth Rollins, especially really didn't enjoy anything he was doing. Um, it took me a little while to come back around Daniel Bryan, um, you know, Sami Zayn. I never knew exactly what they were doing with him. Um, now in this timeline right now, the last, I don't know, less than a year, but about a year, like I've really enjoyed like all of these guys. And I think that's part of it is that it feels like for all their craziness, their wackiness, um, you know, in some cases, not even really wrestling very much. Uh, it just feels like that they are doing what they want to do. Something that they believe in, working with people that they enjoy working with, that they work with well. And so I, yeah, I've just suddenly like kind of I re-like these performers. Yeah, I, I thought this was tremendous. And uh, it's probably five minutes short of of being able to be called like something special. Yeah, I, w- I was disappointed which is why it's they like, didn't give it quite enough time. If it had just a little bit more time, I think it probably would have been the best uh, regular wrestling match of the two days. Well, I'm going to point out one of my favorite parts. And um, this is another little bit of that kind of like um, self-awareness that I enjoyed so much about this weekend. So Sammy is being Sammy. He's rolling out of the ring. He's running away from Daniel Bryan. And at one point, the ref begins to count him out. And he looks at the ref and he asks him, "What? what's the count? Is it a 10 count? <laughs> and like that just slayed me because it just, you know, kind of points to the fact that, well, in the recent past, Sammy hasn't really been wrestling. And even when he's wrestling, he's not really wrestling. And so basically he's like, I don't even know what the rules are here. Right. And that just absolutely cracked me up. And it would be easy. It was like a little easy thing to miss or whatever, but I thought it was absolutely hilarious. We'll move on to number three. And that I think was probably the best 
wrestling match of the weekend. Yeah, I think so. That's why it's number three. All right. And it's uh, Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair for the NXT Women's Championship. This was uh, tremendous wrestling. It was really, really good. Uh, Such a great uh, action back and forth match. uh, Well executed. And uh, I don't know. I, I thought everyone came out of this looking great. Uh, they did. And I saw a lot of complaints from NXT fans. Because Rhea lost. Because Rhea Spoiler lost. Spoiler alert. Oops, yeah. Sorry. And, and Charlotte's our new NXT Women's Champion. But here's the thing. As much as I like Rhea Ripley, and I do, she's great. In this match, it was really obvious, to me anyway, that Charlotte is just a... She's a step above Rhea. Like... She is. She's the better wrestler. She's the better performer. Yeah, in the in I the storyline and in real life. Yes, yeah. You just can't really deny that. So I really think um, people sometimes miss out like on stuff when they they concentrate solely on who's winning and losing mm-hmm. um, these matches. Where I think at this stage of her career, as young as she is, mm-hmm. uh, Rhea Ripley, the the human being, whatever her real name is, her her shoot name, is benefiting big time. Just from being in matches like this. Yes. And working with someone like Charlotte, I think it's more important, an extended feud with Charlotte, having mm-hmm. Charlotte come to NXT and having them work a program together. Uh, I think that's a bigger deal than winning this particular match because she's at the point in, in her development as an artist where it's she needs to be in matches like this. Mm-hmm. And there aren't a lot of women's wrestlers in WWE that are. Uh, can compare with Charlotte Flair. Mm -hmm. So it's so important to be in there with her in these kind of matches in this kind of environment. Like, I I don't know. I I thought it was huge for Rhea Ripley. And I think she, she rose to that moment. And then uh, with these continued experiences, she's only going to get better. Mm -hmm. And that's like the purpose of taking a young wrestler and putting them in with an experienced veteran who's really good. Like that's what's supposed to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a journey, and and she needs that journey for for people to really believe in her. Because I don't, I think in the midst of people's fandom for a certain person, they forget things like how early Ripley is in her career, and if you put her over somebody like Charlotte Flair now, I think even some of her biggest fans, in the back of their mind, they're gonna have that. Like, does she really deserve this? And then you start getting that weird feeling of like, are they pushing her down my throat? Am I supposed to believe that this is her level already? Yeah, it's the quickest way to to really mess something up. Yeah, and, and I it, and I think you can do that to people without you know the with even if they started loving that character. And also for the people who who don't regularly watch NXT, which is most people. Um, you know, she's an unfamiliar face. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, I think it's really difficult to, a lot of times wrestling fans think, well, okay, well, uh, you want to establish a new talent. You just have them win all the time. And that doesn't work. It does not work because that's not how storytelling works. Mm-hmm. Like if Rhea Ripley just comes in and wins all the time, like what kind of baby face is that? There's, there's nothing to overcome there. Right. Like here, like Charlotte is being presented now as this tremendous obstacle right for Rhea Ripley to uh, you know Rhea Rhea Ripley has a challenge now in Mm -hmm. the storyline to to rise to that level right and and that's how you get behind a babyface performer not by them winning all the time like that's the opposite of what wrestling history has told us but uh there's so many fans that 
never seem to, to understand that. It's like, how, how can you really care that much about someone who doesn't face any adversity? Right. If she just wins every match. Like that's not interesting. At right. some point you're just like, you can't relate to that. That's no one's experience in life. And so I, I don't know. I, I have no problem with her losing. I think she probably should be losing. And obviously because she's the baby face, I think eventually she wins. Mm-hmm. And when this culminates, maybe it's next year at WrestleMania. Maybe it's at an NXT takeover. I don't know how long they intend to go with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, I think Ripley wins at the end, but she's not there yet. You know, there has to be more reasons to care. And do you, I mean, I, I'm assuming um, with Charlotte having this belt that this will create also some opportunities for some of the other women in NXT to get a chance to share the ring with Charlotte. Yeah. And, and when when someone like Charlotte shows up, in your promotion, I think it, it forces everyone there to, to up their game a level. Do you think that they'll have her defend the belt uh, on both shows? That would be cool. People would come up as well as her occasionally going down. I I think that would make sense. I mean, obviously I have no idea if they have any intention of bringing eventually bringing some of these women up, then yeah, I I think it would make sense. Cause I mean, this was WrestleMania and we saw both, Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair before the end of the shows. So I, I feel like these women are going to be moved up to the two bigger rosters. Right. Of course, it's like a confusing situation because when you talk to Paul, which is what Triple H wants you to call him because he's a grown man, it's ridiculous to call him Triple H. Um, you know, they, they position NXT as like uh, it's not the minor leagues anymore. So you're not getting called up. Um so I, it's not really clear exactly. Are, are they calling people up? Are they just kind of moving them around to freshen things up? I would or like is to, Charlotte coming to try to raise NXT's level? I, I, I'm imagining, no matter what you say, people would like to laterally move to one of the other brands where twice as many or even more than twice as many people see them on a weekly basis. Yeah, of course. It's, <laughs> it's, they, they, those, those are bigger shows right now. Yes. But when you talk to... Um, to some of the wrestlers in NXT, uh, that's not what they tell you. Um, like I just talked to Tommaso Ciampa and he's like, you know, yeah, we're technically WWE wrestlers, but when we go out there, we don't really think like that. And, and our deal is like, we feel like if we keep doing this at this level, telling our kind of stories that uh, over time, we're going to be as big as they are, if not bigger. Uh, so some of them have that mindset, which is very different. And so um, how much of that is a shoot and how much is that what they're telling them to tell? I, it felt real to me. And so um, I, it depends on probably on the performer. I mean, I will just point out that Obviously, they just put the NXT belt on Charlotte Flair. So I'm just suggesting that. Um, yeah, but that doesn't mean they're going to have it defended on Raw or uh, I, that's an assumption that I, I don't know. It doesn't stand up to any objective evidence at this point well i just think that the idea is is that you 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 are raised up by someone who comes from one of the the two rosters someone Uh, that people know better no yeah i don't think just anyone though i think yeah you're it raises it up by having charlotte flair just like it would have if it sasha sasha had come back or becky Mm -hmm. or ronda rousey or something a big star came right yeah that's a that's a big deal and no doubt about that and uh nxc didn't doesn't currently have wrestlers that are known on that level that they want to get to that level right so yeah for sure all right and then number two 
this is, uh, we get into a, our cinematic matches. Yeah, these were crazy, huh? Yeah, um, not at all traditional wrestling matches. If you haven't seen the Boneyard match, if you haven't seen the Firefly Funhouse match, um, I mean, you just, you have to watch them just to kind of just see what they did. Like, even if you're like, I'm sure this is not my thing, or I don't really care about these performers, like, just for, just to, like, see what they did, how different it is, how different it feels, and to just kind of marvel at the chance that they were willing to take with these, like, I feel like you should go watch it. Yeah, so the the Boneyard is the, the, the was on the first night, and I, I wrote about it for Bleacher Report, so if you want to go, you can check and see, see what I thought in, in some detail, but it, it's a... It's basically like an extended movie fight scene mm-hmm. is what it is. And uh, it's part like spaghetti Western. It's part like roadhouse kind of tough guy banter. It's got like some horror movie elements to it mm-hmm. because the undertaker is there and he's right. teleporting and he's setting things on fire. And um, I, I I love the heck out of it. I, I thought it was shot well. It was performed well. Um, it was cheesy just to the level that you want wrestling to be. <laughs> Yeah. And not doesn't go beyond the point where it's just like, it's so ridiculous you hate it. Right. It was so ridiculous you loved it. Yeah, yeah. It was. It definitely walked that line tightly and stayed on the side of of enjoying it and not you know and not just uh, you know thinking that it was um, terrible or too cringy. Um, and it rescued this match between oh, Undertaker and AJ Styles. Oh, completely. Oh my word. I just. I'm afraid that I cannot. I simply cannot believe anyone who would suggest that they would have rather seen this as some sort of regular match it in a have, ring. It would have been beyond terrible. even with you know even in an arena with um, you know a giant crowd. I mean, about the only thing that you could possibly say that you might have missed from that experience would have been Undertaker's thirty-five minute entrance. I mean, that's about the only possibility, the only thing that would have been worth watching in what otherwise I'm sure would have just been a just a terrible But mess. Th- these entrances were really cool too. So yeah. you had, uh, you know, first they, uh, they they kind of fool you a little bit because it feels like the Undertaker's interest. There's a hearse coming and uh, a casket in the back and out of the casket you're expecting the Undertaker and it says it, it's AJ Styles and his goofy rap music starts playing and it's just, uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty funny. And then the Undertaker comes in playing, that uh, Metallica's playing and he's riding in on his motorcycle uh-huh. and uh, I, it was just pretty cool. It was very much like a hero, the hero rides into town, right? Right. And um, so it set the scene there. As long as both of those entrances were together though, I guarantee his single entrance would have been longer in a regular WrestleMania oh, yeah. match. So... um yeah, so it, it, it raised a lot of questions and, and it's, it poses uh, some interesting uh, uh, potential matches and things that you mm-hmm. can do down the road because The Undertaker is old and broken down yes. and yet was still able to perform this really cool cinematic match. Yeah. It's like, does this extend careers of people who shouldn't be wrestling in regular matches right. but could do something like this? Well, I mean, the best thing about Undertaker is his look and his mystique. I think the best thing always about Undertaker was his look and his mystique. And now, especially that he just simply cannot go anymore. Um, You, you basically can, yes, what you said, extend his career off of just his look and his mystique. 
Um, and he doesn't have to do those lumbering old man matches where you have to pretend like he is remotely capable of, you know, keeping up with a guy like AJ Styles in any way. Right. And so um, obviously this has not stood the test of time, not this specific match, but this idea. So um, everyone loved it because it was new. Mm-hmm. Um, it, if in true WWE fashion, they start doing like six of them every week. Right. Like, you know, they could ruin it. So it has to be, it has to be a real careful balance, I think. Well, this is, this also, it creates this weird situation where, well, maybe you'd want them to save it for big pay-per-views, but big pay-per-views are in front of big live audiences and oh you know, yeah this is a, you can't uh, do this. a TV product for yeah, sure. Yeah, you can't do this in front of live audiences because then they just have to spend 30 minutes staring at a movie on a screen like that's not how a live audience wants to spend its time at least I imagine that's not how they want to spend their time. So then where do you use these? Right. So yeah, it, it's interesting. I don't know what they'll do. I think we should probably mention that I wanted to make sure I mentioned it in my article, um, that this is not an idea that sprung from nowhere that WWE had. Um, so we've talked about it some on this show, uh, Lucha Underground, uh, was mm-hmm. a wrestling show that had kind of a cinematic and, yes. uh, telenovela elements to yes. it. Uh, and then, I think even more similar similar to this was Matt and Jeff Hardy's final deletion mm-hmm. from uh, TNA Wrestling. Uh, felt a lot like this, and it just so happens that uh, WWE recently hired one of the TNA pro- producers, Jeremy Borash, who uh, worked with them on that. Oh, interesting. So, um, so I don't really know what role he had in this match, if he contributed at all, but definitely these guys watched Final Deletion. I think, uh, and it, it it's a a version of that if Matt and Jeff Hardy had had money yes, to make yeah, their show, right? Right. Um, because this looks like an actual, has production value. Oh, yeah. In a way that Final Deletion didn't. But the ideas are similar, I think. So um, I, I love Final Deletion and I love this. And I'm, I'm really excited about the, the future of where this could go if they handle it smartly. Uh, it's, it, it was really cool. All right, and then we'll move on to number one because as great as that Boneyard movie slash match was, the second night um, they did another uh, cinematic match with the Firefly Funhouse match between Bray Wyatt and John Cena. Yes. And this is another match. (laughs) I mean, this was my favorite match of both nights. I... I absolutely love this. It's even less of a match than the Boneyard yeah, match. Yeah, this is not a wrestling match at all. Um, and it, again, this was one of those on paper I had no interest in seeing at all. In fact, I've seen it before and I didn't like it then when they were younger and and Bray was thinner, <laughs> a little bit thinner. Um, so I was not I was not at all looking forward to this when when they announced it. Um, so the fact that they were able to turn it into one of probably, I think, the best things I've ever seen in wrestling is such a testament to to these two guys, their creativity, their ability to tell a story, any and all producers that they worked with. I don't I don't know who was responsible for it, but this is so deeply personal that 
I I have to believe that these two guys themselves were very deeply involved in this. Yeah, so I guess the rumor mill says that um, the the original creative was Bruce Pritchard, who has come in, mm-hmm. uh, and Bray Wyatt, mm-hmm. and then uh, John Cena added his contributions later. Right. Well, this is so personal yes. to John Cena that you can't make this work unless he's highly involved in oh, every no, yes. level Com- of, of creating this. Completely. So um, we had several questions. A couple of questions have come in, like people being like, can you explain this? Like what in the world was going on there? Because this is like art. Like this is actual artistry happening here. And it's kind of probably like the 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 uh, coolest meta kind of little history of both wrestling and uh, John Cena specifically, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I saw a lot of people compare it to David Lynch and, and Twin Peaks, just in kind of like the the level of weirdness. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily it. Like uh, when you really look at this, I think it's fairly straightforward. And I've got like kind of an extended monologue. This is uh, I've uh, written down what I saw, what I think was happening there, okay. and then uh, you can listen and see if you think I got it. Or, um, and, and the listeners too, I suppose. Okay. Uh, this is mostly because I wanted to write about this for Bleach Report and didn't get to. Okay. <laughs> so I had some thoughts. All right. So it starts with um, uh, Bray Wyatt positing the question, who are we really and why do we do the things we do? All right. And, and that was asked of John Cena. And, and it, it kind of sets the stage for this Firefly Funhouse match is kind of like a this is your life, John Cena. Yes. It's okay. an exploration of, of, of John Cena. So uh, the match is going to show us who John Cena really is as he faces his most dangerous opponent. And what they mean, of course, when they say that is the, is himself. Like for all of us, the most dangerous uh, person in our lives is, is us. Okay. And so uh, we begin with a flashback. It's a ruthless aggression created by Vince McMahon. John Cena has just said in this documentary that we all watched. Mm-hmm. It was a mistake, the, big, the biggest mistake of his career. Uh, but there he is uh, in his rookie gear mm-hmm. that he still can can wear yeah. despite being an old man. There's the SmackDown old school fists there. <laughs> and uh, it's the ruthless aggression John Cena character. Yes. And um, so there he is. He's trying to repeat the, the moment where he slapped Kurt Angle in mm-hmm. the face and he's slapping over and over again at, at Bray Wyatt shouting ruthless aggression, but he misses every time it's toothless. And, and Bray asks him, is this really what you wanted for your life? Uh, and then we get these flashbacks of John Cena as a little kid. He's holding these hand handmade belts and, you know, it gives yeah, you like this, real pictures. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So it gives you this idea that like, no, maybe this wasn't what he wanted. Like he wanted to be a professional wrestler, not this caricature of like an old man's vision of what alphaness is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here we flash again and it's Johnny large meat. <laughs> and, and, and we're talking about Hulk Hogan. Yeah, that was amazing. Right. And so this is what, what Bray Wyatt is saying here. I think what this thing is saying here is so it, what Vin, this is what Vince wanted. Uh, and he spent more than a decade trying to recreate Hulk Hogan. And uh, Bray Wyatt says, this is what being a stud is all about, having muscles, no matter how little talent you possess. Mm-hmm. And And so this is Hulk Hogan, and this is what Vince wanted John Cena to become. Hulk Hogan was America. You know, he conquered giants. He conquered foreign foreigners, like everything evil. Right. Uh, and so we see John Cena there as, as uh, Johnny Largemeat, and he's doing these rapid fire bicep curls. 
and he's trying to become this idealized version of a, what uh, a man should be in Vince's vision, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Vince here represented by an evil puppet. And so Bray Wyatt says, what you going to do, brother, when you realize that egomania has been running wild on you? And so, boom, you know, here we go, flashing again. And it's the doctor of thugonomics. And John Cena says, if all I've got is rapping, I'll use it to my advantage. Yeah. And so they show this character, right? And this is a character. This is the John Cena that uh, you heard a couple of episodes ago on this podcast that I interviewed when I was a radio DJ years right. and years ago, this is the John Cena that's built on insults and dick jokes and moves like the FU and mm-hmm. the, the STFU and the five knuckle shuffle. He's crass. And in kind of in retrospect, this is like, he's repugnant. Yeah. Like sexist and homophobic. And yet he's the hero. And, and they kind of like, uh, they show how ridiculous that is because mm-hmm. you hear in the background, these kids cheering yeah. as he's making like masturbation jokes and stuff. It's kind of highlighting like, just how awful it is to be presenting this as a role model. Right. But um, I don't know. And it really like demonstrates how the character is here and John Cena is forced to talk and rap. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, um, and he's, it shows how incompatible that character is with the current time that we live in. Like he calls Bray a a slut for opportunity, blowing every chance and uh, makes all these fat jokes. And it's just like, this John Cena is not the John Cena from motivational social media, not, right. not the John Cena on Twitter. This John Cena is a jerk. And that's kind of what he's getting at here. Like, you know, he had said that Bray Wyatt was the the worst thing about WWE and a guy who got all these opportunities he didn't deserve. And he says, no, like I'm a guy that had to work for everything. You were the golden goose. You were the one who was given everything, right? everything. And he says, you're not the hero, John. You're a bully. You're a horrible person. You take the weaknesses of others and you turn them into jokes. And, um, you know, from this character, John Cena morphs into the American loving rah-rah. I'm John Cena. I'm a hero. Here I am saluting the, the, the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, he's everything but saying his prayers and, and vitamins. Like right. he, he is Hulk Hogan now, right? Um, but instead of evil foreign menaces, which is what Hulk Hogan took down, like the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov and giant monsters, mm-hmm. um, John Cena is sent out there to to destroy the monsters as Vince sees them. Yeah. Um, skinny indie wrestling guys like CM Punk who have the nerve to tell the truth about stuff. That's the enemy to John Cena. The Rock, who's a man who decided, um, I'm too big for this. Um, this isn't enough for me. That's the enemy to John Cena uh, in by proxy Vince McMahon, right? Um, the Cena character is personally offended by those kind of guys. And the Cena character believed in going along to get along. The Cena character is a company man, right? Mm-hmm. And so you see John Cena pause and it's like, he's almost getting it. <laughs> he, he He's almost having a, a realization. Mm-hmm. And then he makes a dick joke and it's like, oh, he's still... He's still John Cena. Right. And so you fly, there's another flash. And here we are at WrestleMania 30. And it's getting personal now, right? So this is when Bray Wyatt was a shiny new character. Right. And he says, he had a really cool line there. He says, I was the color red in a world full of black and white. And so this was his moment. And John Cena is the veteran, the superstar. He could have right. put over this new character and he just didn't, right? right? He squashed him. He didn't even give him the courtesy. So they have this scene where Bray Wyatt is set up. He's got his arms out wide. He's sacrificing himself. He's saying, John Cena hit me in the head with this chair. Right. And, and John Cena didn't do it. 
um, he was the, the good guy, even though it would have been like, you know, beneath his dignity to do this, right? He was too good. And so uh, here in the funhouse, though, in real life, he didn't swing that chair at Bray Wyatt's right. head. Here in the funhouse, John Cena has been angered. Uh, he couldn't be bothered to give a shit at WrestleMania. But here, Bray Wyatt has said too many true things, right? And so John Cena takes that swing this time, and he misses. Bray Wyatt disappears. And bam, we flash now. John Cena is the NWO. Because here in the world of the funhouse... Um, swinging that chair made him a heel, right? right. So uh, he did the unthinkable. Like John Cena didn't swing that chair, but now he did. So now in this version of reality, here's John Cena in his NWO and it's Hulk Hogan in 96. Like the metaphor is still Hogan. Right. He was the new Hogan. And now um, here he is captured in NWO black and white. Um, the funhouse Cena abandoned the path of light when he swung that chair and now he's walking the, the dark side. So that's what that was about, right? Mm -hmm. And so now there's a flash and it's a, too many to list here, but it's all of John Cena's failures in, in his life in wrestling. Right. Some of them, the big ones are like um, the iconic, if Cena wins, we riot sign right. from the ECW one night stand pay-per-view. There's uh, Cena losing to Miz at WrestleMania. There's CM Punk with uh, blowing his kiss at Money in the Bank 2011. There's Cena kind of like with his pouty face after losing to The Rock at WrestleMania. There he is getting destroyed by Brock Lesnar. Um losing to the undertaker recently after talking all this trash, like it's every bad thing that's happened to Cena. Wham, 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 yeah. wham, wham, wham. And now we flash back and John Cena is John Cena again. And you can tell by the look on his face that he's realized like all those truths that were just expressed to him. And then he saw it in real life, like these, these visions of things that have happened in the past. Right. And he realizes now it's dawned on him like, Oh shit. I am, I am the bad guy. <laughs> um, John Cena, you think about it, John Cena's character in WWE, John Cena has no friends. There are no understudies for John Cena. Right. John Cena is either a guy, he's either conquered you or you're like too small for him to even notice. Right. That's who John Cena is. And so uh, he, he spent his whole life becoming the ultimate babyface, the good guy character. And all it took was him being the most heartless, ruthless bastard there could possibly be. That's what it took to be the good guy. And so he's broken now. And, um, he's realized who he is. And when you become broken, that's when the fiend appears. And so the fiend appears in the ring. Now John Cena's broken there sitting there. And so there is no match this time. Unlike WrestleMania 30, it's John Cena who is squashed. And ironically, he had lived up to his word before the, the match. Mm -hmm. He had said he had come to WrestleMania to destroy the most overhyped, overprivileged and overrated talent in the company. And that man was him though. Yep. That's the scene. <laughs> That's the match. That's the story that was told there. Yeah. Um, it's just like, it was a wow, a wow moment. Like everything about it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it was, um, yeah, it's, it was a, a fantastic story. Like I said, a level of self-awareness that I don't expect wrestlers to have. And you have to also ask yourself about, you know, what did Vince think of this? Because um, in a lot of ways, a lot of these Cena's are there. He's just like Vince's puppet. He's he is like he's Vince, but in a different body. Yeah, that's how it's being presented for sure. And and so in a lot of ways, like um, 
This is very brave, Vince, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he does. I think he. I think he definitely probably sees himself, as you said, as somebody who is. Well, you know, as far as wrestling goes, like, you know, I'm I'm the savior. I'm kind of the 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 biggest baby face, but also the biggest bastard. Like, and and maybe those two things can't be separated. Like. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, maybe they can't be separated. Maybe there's some truth to the idea that that you you almost have to be both. There's no innocence at the top of a wrestling promotion, <laughs> probably of any art form, right? So it's a it's a very interesting dissection of um, John Cena's life and his art and um, and and what it means to be a baby face or a heel and how you can be both at the same time. Yeah. Um, I, and I'll be honest. I have, you know, I did sort of over WrestleMania weekend. We, there were a lot of rumors about a lot of matches were changed at the last minute. Uh, there were a lot of dirt sheet rumors about performers who may have been showing signs of having coronavirus, maybe even who did have coronavirus. I guess we'll probably find out sometime in the future. Um, definitely some people who did, not feel comfortable either because of their own illness or because of, of fear of becoming ill um, to be in, on these shows, to participate in these tapings. And so we know that there were a handful of matches that were changed at the last minute. We know some performers who definitely um, have said on social media that they were quarantining. We know, for instance, that Roman Reigns was not comfortable putting himself at risk, um, at, you know, being part of these tapings. And I actually started thinking when, when I was looking at this dichotomy of being like a, a giant baby face um, at the head of a promotion and being an absolute bastard, I thought about Vince McMahon, who, who is an older man. And I thought of what it would be like for the public if you were faced with the knowledge that Vince was sick. No matter how much you hate WWE, people would grieve so hard for him. You know, he is a, he's a favorite, even though sometimes you just want to choke his stupid ideas. (laughs) (laughs) And it just really made me think like, you know, he's like the biggest baby face and also the most terrible person. (laughs) It's it's very interesting. But, um, yeah, so I love that, obviously. Like, um, it was amazing. It was amazing. And like I said, even if you don't think it's your, if you, if you, if you don't think it's your thing. You should check it out because I've never seen anything like it, especially not in wrestling. Right. I've never seen anything like it in wrestling. And I really don't know. I mean, Boneyard, you can do again. Sure. This and, is so and may, unique. And you, and you maybe can even like do it as well or even better. But I don't think you can do – you can't do this. Like, you can't do this Firefly Funhouse match again. Like that. that's a one-time thing. Um, I certainly hope they don't try to do it again. Because I don't think you can capture that again. Um, just the amount of of honesty, and I have to be totally—I mean, as much as I enjoyed it, it was, it was kind of uncomfortable to watch because you're. I would faced- really like. I would have loved to um, to talk to John Cena, like if he was going to be candid, like what what he thought of it. Like, obviously, he agreed to perform it, right? But like what did he think when it's presented to you? Or it's like, I don't think you can do this if you aren't on the same page. 
Like if somebody comes to you, if, if Bray thought this up or if one of these producers or writers thought it up and they brought it to Cena, I, I just don't think you can be a part of this unless you see the truth in it. And, and which is why I feel like he, he, I just feels like he has to have been involved in, in deciding like what's going to go into this and how are we going to present it. And, and, you know, the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this incredibly motivational and earnest Cena that we get now, like, is that tinged with him constantly regretting some of these decisions that he's made throughout <laughs> like his he's, career? He's trying to make he's up making for all the up damage for he's it. done. Yes. Yeah, maybe like, so. And I didn't even hit like all the little beats in here like that. I think that was a pretty thorough um rundown of what happened but then there's other stuff like you know he's wearing the yankees jersey mm-hmm. uh, where cm punk had called him the dynasty and, and made that comparison even though he's from boston mm-hmm. right um so that like just like little things like yeah. that like little touches and um the fact that he would he would wear the jersey of a hated rival to get that um that that little pop from a crowd like you know that's the kind of sellout he is like i, I think there's just so much in it like um I don't know. I, I thought it was spectacular. Well, these two guys just, I mean, they deserve all the credit and accolades. I mean, John Cena, he has a pretty robust acting career at this point. So it's not too big a surprise that you can get these performances out of him. But Bray Wyatt was just excellent. I mean, just emotional and menacing when he needed to be. And, um, you know, he just had that... Like determination, I'm not going to stop this until you start to own up to some of these truths. Like he, he, his performance was was just fantastic. He is really, really good at this stuff. One thing I wondered as I watched it was like, um, it, it was a, a lot of trust placed in the audience because it was it was um, kind of complicated material on some level mm-hmm. like to be able to follow that yeah um that brand of storytelling and like when you when you put it down on paper and you talk about it it becomes i think more clear maybe than it would have been just watching it where it's like oh now he's doing a weird weightlifting thing or whatever like you right. have to kind of pay attention and to, you have to, to know what your it, history yes you that's, have, that's like two decades worth of history in absolutely there. so they're counting on a lot of knowledge and a lot of um hey if you just recently tuned in for the fiend you probably didn't get most of this. <laughs> no, but maybe all it was um, madcap and surrealistic enough that it doesn't matter. Like, so it's one of these things that plays on two levels. I, I don't know. I didn't watch it on the, the other level. But, um, <laughs> uh, so I'm curious what the average fan thought, because I think as the, the sophisticated, like hardcore fan, a lot of them really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I saw, I mean, I saw mixed reaction online but amongst um the people that i interact with the most online uh, i saw nothing but like a lot of love um enjoying from from you know really on kind of like every level um from like the just the the performances and the chances that they were willing to take and then also getting to relive a lot of that history like that's fun in and of itself even if the ideas behind it weren't exactly fun um getting to see all of that is just kind of i mean you know i'll admit like john cena in the nwo was like <laughs> right. that was wild yeah it was uh... 
<laughs> not something I ever thought about. <laughs> no, yeah. So it was a, that, that was the other thing is like, you have to give them credit for the, um, the quality of the production and, and how well it was all shot and edited mm-hmm. and, um, the special effects, like uh, everything worked. And so I was, um, I don't want to say proud to be a wrestling fan, but I guess it was kind of like a proud moment to be like, you know, like this thing I like can be turned into something amazing um, beyond like the, the regular uh, artistry in the ring. Like you can tell this deeper story here. Uh, even WWE can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I will, I will admit like, a, I didn't think they had a, I, had did, it in. I didn't either. I, I have to admit, I think that shocked me as much as anything. Just the fact that this was allowed to happen on a WWE pro- product. I was just, I think that, probably shocked me more than anything so i wonder if that was because vince didn't get it and didn't want to admit he didn't get it or if he was just willing to like cop to it i want to believe that i want to believe he got it i want to believe he got it and he enjoyed it and he was fine with that with that story being told like that's what i want to believe personally so that's what i'm going to believe all right you want (laughs) to get into some listener questions uh great all right, so some of them we've kind of talk, uh, tackled obliquely, but okay. we'll, we'll, we'll look at them again. Uh, Edgar E. wants to know, uh, what would be the biggest drawback to steering too far in the cinematic direction for wrestling? Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I think you need new, fresh ideas. Um, yet you don't want to just keep treading over the same stuff over and over again. And unfortunately, the That's WWE lot, is right. bad at doing that. Um, but hopefully the same minds that decided uh, we're going to do, you know, these, this Boneyard match, this Funhouse match and, and put those together are also um, uh, creative enough to know that, that they have to come up with fresh ideas and they can't just retread. Um, I think the other problem, too, is where do you put these matches? Because like I said, um, it's now in the age of no audience, no live audience. Um, but, you know, whatever, go crazy because, you know, this is what you got pre-taping and, and, and everything is, is all you have. When you get back to the time of the live audience, where do these matches show up and, and you know, how long you're going to have your live audience just sit there and, and watch a screen because right. this obviously doesn't take place in front of a live audience. So the biggest drawback that um, I've seen presented for this beyond those, those things uh, was from the wrestler MLW wrestler, Alex Hammerstone. Uh, and he was saying he like is cringing already at all of the like um, cinematic wrestling that indie wrestlers are going to shoot on their cell phones and, and try to like do their, their <laughs> iPhone version of this. Right. Um, this is going to be really awful in the wrong hands. True, but you know, sometimes that's true of wrestling yeah. too. And sometimes you have to see a lot of really awful stuff to like you know find the gems. So I'm not I'm not that concerned about it. In fact, I think this weird uh, social distancing time may give uh, people a chance to kind of work on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I I'm guarantee there are people out there right now with their friends. Um, you know, filming weird <laughs> wrestling movies. Right. Um, and like I said, maybe some gems will come of that from some good ideas. Um, but I'm, I think I'm mostly concerned about a lot of retread from, from the WWE. Yeah. I, I hope they just do this once or twice a year, unless the, the Rona kind of demands it of us all for a long time. Um, 
So Edgar has a second question. All right. It's New Japan, New Japan related. So, oh, New um, Japan. <laughs> so I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Weekly Pro Wrestling um, in Japan, the 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 iconic Japanese wrestling magazine, uh, had a cover shot of uh, Lij. It's all the members, and every single one of them. Right. Right. San Sonata mm-hmm. has a, a championship belt, so he wants to know how awkward is it that Sonata is the only member of the extended LIJ family without a championship belt. Okay, so I don't know if you'll I don't know if you remember, but we discussed this at um before Wrestle Kingdom mm-hmm. and I believe I told you that I thought my idea was everybody but Sonata would win gold. Um and I thought that this was around I thought that after Wrestle Kingdom was when we might see Sonata leave LIJ. He always feels like the odd man out to me. Um, now that they've moved Shingo up to heavyweight, um, it's kind of like they have an extra heavyweight. And so I thought that, you know, he might move and then you'd see Evil and Shingo take up the the, ta- the, the LIJ tag team and in the heavyweight tag team. Um, and I thought you might see Shingo leave and, and, and perhaps do something else. You could definitely see this as a story where... Um... You pick, you can see the camera. It pans to him, and he's looking at this magazine cover. Or he's got this look on his face, <laughs> and it's just yeah. Like, I don't think they'd ever do anything quite so no, dramatic. But that's in, how in New Japan. How but, I would picture it in my head, right? Yes. Where it's just like um, it's the impetus for him, like you say, to to take drastic change. And maybe um, he's looking around. He sees all these yeah, titles, exactly. and he's like, "Why don't I challenge Naito? Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't I challenge Shingo? Exactly." Um, so yeah, we'll 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 see what happens. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we didn't really get to see what was going to happen with any of those storylines. I don't think that that photo shoot happens by chance. That is a very purposeful shot. Yeah, He's, well, we we've already seen them after Wrestle Kingdom, um, you know, coming out to all see see Naito and 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 it's very obvious that he's missing a belt sure but i mean so when when you get a chance to see this cover you'll see that it's right it's set up specifically that this is that's the message you take mm-hmm. away and i don't think that's by accident so yeah. i agree edgar um some shit's gonna go down off this yeah so well, well i'm i i love sonata i'm sitting here yeah wearing, oh my gosh you're wearing your sonata shirt i'm wearing a sonata shirt as we do this podcast so <laughs> I, I i'm hoping for the best for him and and if that means having to step out onto his own to find his own way, um, be that way sometimes. All right. All right. So Danny Cheeseburger asks, outside of Boneyard and Firefly, what matches benefited the most from not being in front of a live crowd? Uh, Shayna's match is the one that comes to mind for me. Um, and that's because... It was a good match, too. It was a good match, and they wrestled very stiff. It sounded, it you know, it sounded and looked like a very good match. And unfortunately, the reaction to Shayna um, hasn't been great from the audiences, and it's it's kind of bummed me out a little bit. And I felt like I felt like that I was able to enjoy this match differently, uh, not like being angry at the you know audience that wasn't paying attention it's or, or wasn't a, giving them their due. It's really a unique experience to like. Uh... To be able to process it this way without um, being influenced exactly by these other people, and like, I'm hoping that other fans like also had an opportunity to watch that match 
and not be influenced by by the crowd's reaction. Yeah, because if you're a casual fan and you didn't already love Shayna because you didn't watch NXT or whatever, like it's very easy to to watch it and say, this is something I don't have to care about because no one cares about it. Like that, that can influence someone mm-hmm. real easily. Yes. And if you're not already predisposed to give it a chance, like uh, it's going to drain your energy right? real quickly. And so, uh, yeah, I think it, that was a big one for sure. I mean, that's, that's the first one that, that comes to mind for me. I'm not really sure that the audience would have reacted that well to the Daniel Bryan, Sammy match either. Um, right. The audience seems a to not really be all that on board with Sammy's antics. So, well, I mean, you've presented long enough as a ridiculous character. Like it's, you know, and your collective is like the people that we love as hardcore fans. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're a regular fan, you look at Cesaro or whatever. I mean, it's a guy that spent 10 years not doing much. Right. And Nakamura spent the last like year and a half, like basically sleepwalking through everything he does. And so, yeah, I could see why people would dismiss it. Just like I can see why people like us would be like, okay, that's Sammy though. That's, <laughs> that's Shinsuke, you know, that's Cesaro, you know, that's Claudio. Like, you know, those are our guys. And so, yeah, it just really depends on where you're coming from. So Matt Malapai asks, um, why can't Sasha just win? Why? Um, You know, Sasha, t- I love Sasha Banks. And I think that she's one of those people that I, my love for her really doesn't, change whether she has a belt or not i don't think she's bigger than that that's i mean that's how i see her i mean one day she will and it'll be great but i mean um i think it helps bailey in a way that Mm -hmm. that she doesn't need the help yeah she could be a little lost with no belt yes for sure she was we saw it and so for sasha is sasha no matter what Mm -hmm. and uh she's she is too good not to be noticed and, and to be held down yeah and so She's my lady, Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Like, I, I, you don't, I don't need a really, I don't need a super significant feud. I don't need her to be fighting over a belt. I don't need her to have a belt. She's going to raise whoever she's, you know, in the ring with. Um, she's going to make them look good. She's going to make them look better. She's going to make whatever match it is more important. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I that's how I see her. And that's how they've been booking her for a while. So maybe that's how they see her too. And I don't know how she feels about that, but you know, I I don't know. I, I I would guess she's maybe okay with it. It's really hard to tell because, you know, she always has kind of those kind of cryptic messages and then she went away for a while. And so there may be a part of her that, um, I don't think she wants to be Bailey, but there's probably a part of her that would like to be Becky Lynch. Um, so uh, I don't know. I've never, I've never really met her. So I, I don't know her. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Cause I mean, I watch these people's matches and like, you know, they react really strongly to Becky's entrance and then they fall flat when she's actually in the ring as opposed to Sasha who seems to wow them all the time. Right. But so like someone was just telling me this in from WWE, it's like, uh, even in today's wrestling, in the nice, this is nice wrestling compared to way, the way locker rooms used to be and mm-hmm. as competitive as it used to be. Um, and people are polite to each other on the surface, but there is still a very fierce battle for these one and one A positions mm-hmm. in every division. And so um, I, I, I don't have any doubt that Sasha wants to be the top star. 
she's good enough to be. So she probably, right. you know, she feels she deserves it, no doubt. And so, she, yeah, she's probably a little bit upset too. She probably thinks a little bit, why, why, Sasha? Right. Um, so I think her moment will come though. Yeah. All right. So Matt had a second question, and I think we agree on this. What Cena outfit in the Fire uh, Firefly Funhouse uh, was your favorite? Oh, so I, you know, you showed me this question. I thought about it, and really all I can see is NWO Cena. Like, that's uh, like when I think of the match, like, that's what comes into my it's mind. It's in my Twitter, um, whatever they call that banner. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, so you agree. Yeah, yeah. So it was just kind of, I, I really enjoyed seeing. Cena do like the words world's most like awkward <laughs> strut and too sweet. Like he would have been a terrible NWO yes, member. Yes, exactly. Um, but there were but that, a, there were a lot of. I was going to say that didn't keep them from putting yes. some people. They were very awkward people in NWO. There, there were a lot of NWO people. Like it started with like uh, minus even with Hogan initially was not cool. No, but it started with like you know besides Hogan who was the name. It was like the cool guys yes. had some swagger to them. Yes. Um, John Cena is the anti-swagger. Yes. And so, um, yeah, it was funny to see. I enjoyed that. All right. So MC asks, fantasy book, the Boneyard match two, who gets to fight the undertaker and how do you make it different and special? Okay. So I saw, I saw two possibilities. Um, I think that you could have a Boneyard match with another creepy character um, and real and and maybe up the creep factor. Right. And I saw Mick Foley like sure. asked to be. You know, you could have mankind out there. Um, you know, you could uh, have him square off with his brother, um, Kane. You could, uh, um, you know, bring in the fiend or something like that, and like up the horror movie element to it. Um, I thought another possibility that I actually, and the more I thought about this, the more I kind of liked it was to take a younger guy. And I know AJ Styles made a lot of old man cracks, but AJ Styles is an old man. So, <laughs> right. I mean, like a truly younger guy. I love the idea of Undertaker passing the torch to like 40-something-year-old AJ Styles. <laughs> There's like a lot of that going on these days. And I guess it should make, as a 40-something-year-old, it should make me feel, you know, good that like suddenly like... I love the fact we're that they're... We're the youth. They're... they're <laughs> There are still wrestlers around older than me, and as long as there are, I, I feel all right. But I thought something neat would be to take a young guy, like a, a like a fresh-faced, enthusiastic guy who grew up on The Undertaker, right? And create a situation for him to be in this Boneyard match and to have him go into it not as like an AJ Styles, like I'm going to retire your old ass or whatever, but like in a like oh my God, I can't believe I'm facing The Undertaker in the Boneyard. This is awesome. And at some point during that match, like have him realize. Oh, he's in the dark side. Oh my God. Like this is, this is not fun and games. Like this man is a psychopath. (laughs) And, and I would love to have that same person come out of that experience like a changed wrestler. Like, and I thought of like somebody like your, like your bubbly, fresh faced Johnny Gargano somehow walk his ass into a feud with the undertaker, like maybe a misunderstanding over a motorcycle or something (laughs) and like go in thinking like, this is like the greatest thing ever. This is going to be so cool and come out haunted 
Right. Like a like a, a wrestler with a new level or layer to his personality. There's like a Johnny before the boneyard and a Johnny after the boneyard. And I just think that could be like a really cool story. I, I really like that. And the one thing I was thinking is that this is not for the undertaker or the boneyard too, but so that most people, because it works so well for these older wrestlers, that's kind of like how their imagination has gone in that direction. But, um, I think that this concept could be used like really in a really cool way for like, um, say like Will Ospreay and Hiromu to do like just some kind of really madcap. Like when you think about action movies, like, yeah, there's like your Patrick Swayze Roadhouse stuff or Chuck Norris, but like, there's also like Jet Lee and like Jackie oh Chan God. and stuff. Like you could do, um, some crazy athletic like parkour up a building uh, yeah, as part of a wrestling like match. Just like completely outlandish superhero stuff um, could be incorporated into this style of wrestling match with a younger, more athletic performer. So I don't think it has to be like if your imagination only goes towards these older guys using it to get out of having to do a real <laughs> wrestling match. Right. Um, I think it could be uh, equally as cool for a young guy to take the skills that he or she has and and translate it into this this medium. I don't think it has to be for washed up has-beens, right? It could be for anybody. And and then what you can do uh, suddenly grows in a dramatic mm-hmm. way. So instead of doing like this kind of like um, Western style John Wayne fight, um, which is what the Undertaker is capable of, uh, maybe you're doing a superhero kind of fight scene with Will Ospreay and Hiromu or or ricochet and whoever the wwe equivalent is like uh this doesn't have to be limited to people who are limited i was thinking about like taking the idea of like a gauntlet match um you know where you have to like move past a whole variety of of opponents to keep going and like putting it in like the woods Hmm. you know so like the next uh opponent just like you know, appears and then only the winner gets to continue through the gauntlet or whatever. Like you could do like a lot of, uh, you know, gimmicks that we're like somewhat familiar with, but like move them into, um, you know, more like a more creative sphere. All right. right. Anything else? We have a, there was uh, several more questions about the boneyard, but I think we've kind of knocked it out. Um, There's one more question and it is from AJ Hoffman. And it asks, who are the top five tag teams of all time? Let's keep it to American promotions for my sake. And for my sake, since we didn't prepare for this, maybe we'll just keep it to a couple. So when you think about tag team wrestling in, mm-hmm. in, on the American scene, mm-hmm. uh, who, are, who are the teams that you think of? The teams that I think of? Yeah, well, who are your favorite tag teams? Mm, the Hardy Boys. Really? Yeah. For years. So that's your number one? Mm. <laughs> You're looking at me like it shouldn't be, but no, no, I think not it is, all. yeah. I just didn't know that. Um, for, for me, it was like, is the Rock and Roll Express, I think. Well, I didn't see a whole lot of so the Rock and Roll Express. A that's bit, a little early yeah. for me. So, so uh, But I kind of think of, of that kind of like they're, be, they're on, on a line of babyface tag teams that kind of go like, you know, the Rock and Roll Express and the rockers and the Hardy boys and the young bucks. Like it's, it's a straight line down mm-hmm. evolutionary. I can see that. Sure. And so, um, I think you and I are similar here. 
mine's just comes a generation before yours. Yeah. I mean, you started watching earlier than I did. I mean, I maybe I would have loved the Rock and Roll Express. But for me, I think if and I'm picking in American promotions, then it's the Hardy Boys. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you go into Japanese wrestling, probably you'd pick the Golden Lovers or. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I would have a, a different uh, set of. Um, even back in when we used to watch uh, New Japan and All Japan um, 20 years ago, um, there were some pretty killer tag teams yeah, there I mean, as so well. Like, uh, there were three consecutive tag teams for Misawa yeah. in All Japan. Uh, Misawa Kawada, then Misawa Kobashi. I saw a lot of yeah. Misawa Kobashi. That's and then, the period and then when I was watching a Kobashi lot. graduated and um, to his own team. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it was uh, Misawa Akiyama. And so th- those were three out, out of this world tag teams, Golden Lovers. Um, one like um, North American team that you have to consider when you start thinking about the Japanese matches too is the Steiner Brothers. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I don't know. I think that there obviously have been a lot of great North American tag teams, but for the last uh, couple of decades, kind of famously, it hasn't been prioritized. Mm-mm. And so it's hard to really come up with like a list of a whole bunch of names because oh, yeah. um, no one is that that's been a position that you work your way out of. Right. Like, you know, you're Bret Hart and you're in an iconic tag team, the Hart Foundation. But all you really want to do is get out of that so mm-hmm. you can be the Intercontinental and then the world champion. Right. You're Shawn Michaels, you're in the Rockers, and you're in an iconic tag team. All you want to do is get out of that right. so you can win the Intercontinental and then the World Championship. Right. Like that's kind of like the path. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's difficult to answer this question because for a long time, just it, it hasn't been a thing that people care about. It feels like that's changing. I think it's changing a little bit. I, I, I mean, I think it feels like maybe people are overplaying that a little bit, but maybe that's just because they're trying so hard to like push us to a point where where tag teams are are more are prioritized more and so it's one of those things where if i keep putting it out in the universe it'll happen um but yeah i mean i still think it's i still think it's kind of rough like i think that yeah you you end up especially in the wwe you find yourself thinking well which one of these guys is going to come out of this and, and be a, a singles champion or whatever. Like, I, I rarely find myself thinking that some tag team that I like in WWE is going to stay a tag team for any length of time. Yeah, and that's really too bad because I love tag team wrestling. Yeah, I do too. And I think that, you know, when you get a really special tag team like the Hardy Boys or like the Young Bucks, um, I have no interest. I mean, I both of those guys, all of those guys – um, are great wrestlers in and of themselves, but I really don't have any interest in them as as singles wrestlers. Like, I, you know, I want the Hardy Boys back together again. I want the Young Bucks to wrestle as the Young Bucks. Like, that's just uh, that's just how I feel. All right. So normally this would be when we would do like this. What's coming up? <laughs> and, and obviously nobody knows what's coming up. The tournament on TNT, that's what I'm excited for. We do know the TNT championship. Yes. uh, Their version of the old TV championship from the NWA. Um, They've presumably taped this already. It's a pre taped tournament. Uh, It's supposed to end uh, at double or nothing in May. We have tickets for this. Um, Obviously, it's seeming less and less (laughs) unlikely, less and less likely to happen. Eventually, it will culminate in crowning a new champion. 
Yes. And I'm excited both because I like tournaments and uh, because I, I think they could definitely use, um, you know, something for, for the people um, who aren't fighting, who aren't at that upper echelon fighting for the AEW championship, you know, something to, to work towards uh, for those wrestlers. So I, I think it's a good idea. I'm excited. All right. Well, um, I don't know when we'll be back. Uh, Once we accumulate enough wrestling watching. Sounds we'll, good. We'll come back. We'll have a top five. It may be over the course of two or three weeks, but it'll be the five things that we like the most. All right.